All right, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for making the time to be here. I'm so excited to be with you. I know we've been trying to coordinate this for a couple of months, so I'm sure today is going to be special. Yes, yes, absolutely. We have a lot of good, good conversation in place here today with you. So, um, but to, to give our audience just a little bit of kind of context about who you are, give me a snapshot of your career story and where, what you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I, I came out of college bright-eyed and bushy-tailed thinking that I wanted to take over the world and climb the corporate ladder, right? So that's how I started my professional venture. And I jumped into the risk management employee benefits consulting world. So as an insurance broker, and I was with a publicly traded firm for about five years. It was really incredible. But then in 08, 09, when everything hit um, and the industry was really being hit across all sides, I saw an opportunity where I saw a difference and a gap in the leadership and the way that I viewed building my book of business. To me, it was always about investing in my people, investing in my clients. And if that was the case, it would take place. So I left at that time and had an opportunity to become a partner in another firm that I joined an office that had about a quarter million dollars of revenue at the time in 2010. And I was with them for just over a decade. And in that time, we grew from a quarter million in revenue to over 15 million in revenue and from two of us to over 60 associates. Um, really, it was an incredible run. But in the midst of that run, I also woke up one day and realized that I had all the what's the world I ever said I wanted to chase, right? What house, what car, what amount of money? And I'm running in circles of people making multiple six figures, seven figures, eight figures in some cases. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling extremely empty. I feel like garbage inside, despite the fact that I have it all. And I realized that getting to that, getting all the what's cost me the ultimate price. It cost me who I was. And so it wasn't long after that, that my wife really gave me a push. And I can break down that story later in the conversation, but essentially she knew that I was dying a little bit inside every single day. And she knew that what they needed was hundred percent of me and they didn't have it. So she really pushed me down in a direction to see myself the way she saw me, which is now leaning me into the direction that I am today. Along the course of that, I was running a coaching and speaking business for about five years side by side with my other one. About five years in is when she gave me this nudge. And she said, look, let's double down on this bet that we've taken on you before, because I don't think you're scratching the surface of your potential, nor do I think you're having the impact on the world that you want. So let's go see what we can do. The rest mm -hmm. is history. And so now that's truly what I'm committing all of my life to doing, which is helping individuals identify and take out the who-centered trash in their world, the emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning that keeps us stuck so that we can allow people to get back to the core of who they are. Um, and I believe that if we do that, it allows us all to stand on our own two feet, not only confident, but convicted in who we are, right? Not only being accepted, but embraced for who we are. And that brings a whole lot better world into fruition for my kids and my grandkids. Mm. Hey you, thanks for watching. If you're enjoying this episode, make sure to share it with friends and family who might find it interesting. Make sure to hit the subscribe button as well to stay up to date on weekly new videos that are gonna be coming out with some awesome guests that I bring on. And uh, if you have any questions, use the comment section to ask me questions, to interact. I look forward to talking to you. No, that's, that's very, um, that, that's a big challenge to solve, right? And I mean, I'm sure you, and I, I'm, I'm glad that there's somebody out there working on those things, by all means. I'm sure you've seen a lot of the reports that come out in terms of the state of the global workforce, whether it's Gallup or McKinsey that does it, right? And the disengagement of, of, of employees globally is astonishing. And it gets, it's either stays the same or gets worse every year, but it rarely yeah. gets better. And so, and that goes to your point is that a lot of times we are chasing all those things without taking a pause, right? And kind of trying to figure out what that is. So I'm curious. So you mentioned that there was a point in, in your, in, in that, uh, you know, in, in your life where your wife recognized that. So was it, was it something that has occurred or was it more like a push from an external party that in, in this case being your wife that said, hmm, maybe you need to take a moment. 
Yeah. So it was really kind of a combination of things. And it was, you know, almost nine years into my journey in my last uh, company. And that was ultimately what you saw. I had some health stuff that impacted me a couple of years prior to that. And, you know, you might remember from my story, we may talk about it later or not, but I've got a pretty significant health history. In this case, it was not related to that, but she said, I think you allowed fear to enter into your world in a way I've never seen you operate. And she said, I think you've convinced yourself that all we needed was the money, the status, the prestige, the office, all the, everything that's been built. But she said, I'm telling you right now, I don't care if we live in a cardboard box on the corner, what we need is 100% of you. Mm. And so it was a combination of a few things that took place a few years earlier that really tapped my intellect and my fatigue and my energy, right? Which are two mm -hmm. things I identify deeply within myself. And so I was constantly in brain fog and I had this fatigue and it took me a little while to figure it out. But in that journey, as I've had many other significant adversity health journeys, this was one that really didn't hit me the same way, but it really hit my identity again, because it was connected to my energy and my intellect, which are two things that I've always been able to lean on in a mm. period of time when I wasn't it really caused me to slow down long enough to really take toll on what was going on in my life, where I had alignment and where and how I was living in fulfillment with who I wanted to become versus who the world wanted me to be. Mm. And it was that time that I started to understand more depth of emotion. I started to unpack the fact that I was dealing with a deep level of shame and it really put me on this trajectory and path. And so it was sort of an event that had patterns that were created from it, just like so many things in this world. And it was a time where my wife ultimately saw that this was no longer serving me or us. Mm -hmm. And so she took that leap. She had the courage to disrupt whatever lifestyle we had, knowing that her push for me meant everything might look different for us. Um, and it was a risk we were willing to take. But to your point before around all the global workforce stuff, you know, what's really interesting is, is I think that so much of this does get back to the who, because so many organizations, especially in the last decade, have focused on profits before people, and they focused on what before who. And I think mm -hmm. that that's what I'm really trying to help a lot of these larger organizations that we consult and do work with uh, as well is to understand that so many of our associates, because of the virtual environment, because of the ability to be removed, to change the environment, the culture and the system that they operate in, they've now been able to slow down long enough to take toll on their lives, which mm -hmm. means that employers have to focus even more on creating environments that people feel safe, protected, seen, understood and connected. Because if those four things don't exist, at some point, those employees are going to either become entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, or become a part of this, you know, whole new workforce shift, which is the gig economy, mm -hmm. right? And so many of those people know they can create those environments for themselves, but they're feeling disconnected from a culture and an environment that allows them to connect deeply with themselves and whatever they're working on. So we've really lost a lot of that. And that's what I'm trying to get people to focus back on is we really need to focus on who before what and people before profits and the what and the profits will soar. Mm. To that point, which I also see uh, quite a bit um, in the workspace is, do you see it as a generational thing? So, and it's actually, I was just discussing this with somebody um, yesterday, and it seems like, like, do you think that it's just the generations come, the new leaders that are coming in, the kind of the, you know, the young leaders that are coming in today, they value that well-being piece because they're coming in with those demands. So as they grow into those leadership roles, do you think that will kind of stabilize? Because right now it seems that there's a disconnect between traditional leadership, especially, you know, now the way uh, so many companies went remote, a lot of things have shifted in general over the last yep. two, three years. So, and do you, and I see that there's still a push back on these things and the old school leadership approach and yep. traditional leadership is like, you know, eh, I, I want butts can, and seats, right? Yeah, exactly. Like we care about well-being, but also like you need to be able to manage yourself. Like they don't see the responsibility for them as a company or as leadership. So 
So the, the question to you is, do you see it as a generational thing or do you see it more of a mindset of leadership or both? So I think it's, it's probably a combination of both like many things, right? I think that old school leadership, and I'm just going to call it what I believe in so many cases, it's really traditional. It's much more focused on hustle culture in a lot of ways, right? It's, it's the grind. It's what can we get out of our people? And in so many cases, what this creates is shame and toxic based societies, right? And cultures that exist within these organizations. It's very much, what have you done for me lately? It's, there's very little care about the employees for them. They care what they can get from them. And so I think that there is a little bit of a disconnect. Now, the younger generations are also used to more technological engagement. They're used to more remote relationships. They're used to seeing the world in their pocket. And so it makes sense that they're also more highly conditioned to be able to have a separate type of work environment. But I don't care if your folks are remote or if they're in seats. It doesn't really matter because the culture piece and the connection piece is really what's most important. And so what I don't think many old school leadership believes or recognizes is the fact that people recognize and are starting to recognize more so than ever, especially after COVID, that time is our only asset we can't create more of. And so the quality of the time that we spend, wherever it is, is now starting to be looked at with intention in a way that when we were all operating on autopilot pre-COVID, we didn't slow down long enough to even realize that we were out of alignment or where we were existing wasn't serving us or giving us the energy in the ways that we want to exist or was sacrificing so much time with our family because of the commutes, because of the situations that were taking place or going into that toxic environment, they would come home triggered, carrying trash and garbage, and then that would just get dumped into their home, right? Mm -hmm. So there's all these shifts that have taken place in society that is forcing the, the employer's hand to recognize that we can't just treat people like commodities anymore. But I will tell you that those that are recognizing this now, whether they're old school leadership or a combination of new school leadership, it's the ones who leaned into that in these last two to three years and are really capitalizing on how do we develop our people and how do we create a connection for them within this culture? It's those that are like, can we get back to work already? Like, let's go and can we get back to the old ways that are struggling with this shift that in so many ways can actually deliver greater outcomes for these organizations, right? Mm -hmm. If people are centered in alignment and they're excited to be there, they're going to give their best abundant energy towards whatever they're working on. If they are resisting it, feeling toxicity, not wanting to be in that environment, even if they are there and agreeing to be there and you're paying them, do you really think you're going to get the best out of them? You know, we talked about this presentee issue, presenteeism yeah. issue over the last 15 years, yeah. right? But now more than ever, when attention is our number one asset that we can capitalize on, we have to make sure that we're creating environments where people want to give their attention, want to give their energy, want to give their time because they're buying into something bigger, mm -hmm. right? The world has shifted. And I'm hoping that more and more organizations start to see that because the people will follow if you lead with people. Yeah, uh, no, I, I'm with you on that. And I always look at it like there's two responsible parties. So one, of course, on the organization, you need to have that structure and the leadership who can lead by that example. Yep. But also it just comes down to individual, again, whether it's an individual contributor or the leader. So and maybe we can dive into this a little bit because I know you spend quite a bit of work around helping individuals as well to find that yep. sort of purpose, passion, whatever people want to call it, that essentially that drive and joy to wake up and do something you enjoy. And I always, uh, in, in my case, I always say, I might not enjoy 100% of the time, but my aim is like 85% of the time. I just want to enjoy what I do 85% of the time. And I feel like it's a, that's a good kind of percentage oh, we should oh, yeah. aim for, right? Because even if you have, I mean, I'm sure even in your case, even if you're running your own thing, it becomes challenging and you don't always no have great days. And it, you know, 
So, so we're not looking for perfection here, but I'm, I'm curious from an individual perspective, you know, it's difficult to overcome this mindset. So if you, you know, it's difficult for people to find that. So, you know, I guess if somebody doesn't know where to even start, like, how do you figure out what is it that you want um, yeah. out of your career or life? Like, cause that's challenging for a lot of people. Yeah. So a um, couple things. One, you, you said mindset, and I want to attach to that word for just a second. Because I think that's also one of the misnomers that exists out in the world right now is that if you just have a good mindset, you're mentally tough, that you can overcome anything and do everything, right? And that was the narrative, by the way, that served me very, very well for 13 years after my childhood injury, right? And it was literally Brian's good, Brian's strong, Brian's capable, he can do anything himself. And it wasn't until I caught myself re-injuring that situation, almost having a, a complete loss again, that I started to realize that human connection was what it was always about and vulnerability and authenticity are there, but... All that said, our narratives can fail us. So mental toughness and, and mindset is not always it unless we understand and are connecting to the emotional state as well. Mm. What I did is when I shut off physical pain 30 years ago because it exceeded my demands to cope, I also shut off emotional pain. And when I went straight mindset, it can be effective and it's an incredibly crucial part of the equation. But those that reach the highest level of performance are those that actually have a solid mind-body connection, those that understand the intellectual and emotional narratives that they get, also which one they're hardwired to start with first for themselves, and then learning to balance and regulate between both, because both narratives lie to us, and both sometimes tell us the truth. Mm. And so the one thing I want to say as it relates to this is pay more attention to your feelings and your energy as it relates to the misalignment in a culture and understanding how to get back to the core of you than the narratives that have been created because many times people shut off emotion and go straight to an intellectual narrative, never mm -hmm. actually paying attention to what they were feeling. What mm -hmm. I learned is that if we don't feel, we don't heal. Now, to shorten the story of what you asked because I wanted to clarify that out of the gate, so often people struggle to see who they are to be connected to their creative side and to be able to have the understanding on where they could go or who they could become because of the amount of trash they're carrying around with them. Mm -hmm. When I say trash, I'm talking about our emotional triggers, right? It's those unprocessed, unrooted prior events that project feelings, emotions, and behaviors into the current time, right? And many are not actually existing there. It's the time when you're loading your dishwasher incorrectly and your spouse says something and you feel defense and reaction because it's how your grandpa said it to you when you were four. The reality of it is that so many people don't pay enough attention to what we're feeling and the world actually teaches us to not feel, right? They teach us to avoid it at all costs and to shove it down. And especially in the workplace, we can't be vulnerable. We can't be authentic because that's not the time for what we're doing. We're here to do business, right? So show up with a smile on, make sure that you're moving fast with less effort. That's the narratives we receive. And so when we pay attention to this, what happens is we start shoving all this stuff down into our proverbial trash can and we literally start carrying trash because our triggers are trash. I believe the number one thing that keeps people stuck is not the wrong mindset or not the wrong strategy or tactics. It is the emotional triggers, the trash, the behavioral patterns and the environmental conditioning. And mm -hmm. so part of this is we have to recognize that we are living in a space where from the time we were born, the world has told us who we are isn't good enough. You should do this, you shouldn't do that. You should be this, you should want that. You should make this money. You shouldn't make that amount of money. And should is a shame-based word because it implies that whoever you are, whatever you're doing already isn't good enough. Right. So first and foremost, I would suggest to people that we need to learn how to take out our trash on a regular and consistent basis so that we can be open energetically and not blocked from what we're trying to actually accomplish. Mm. Now, what does that look like? In the core element of it, so many people say, I don't even know who I am. Right. I, don't, I don't know what I'm here on the planet to do, right? I know what I'm not, 
but I know mm -hmm. I don't know what I am. And it's because of all the trash that's blocking our ability to see ourselves. And so in this case, in the most simplistic exercise, I just want people to create two lists without judgment, just completely objective lists. On one list, I want you to put all the people, places, sources of information, environments, places that you go that leave you lit up, mm. leave you feeling energized, that you could spend eight hours there and it felt like one because you were in such flow. You can't wait to get back there tomorrow. You can't wait to reconnect with that person. You can't wait to be back in that environment. We all know what that feels like. Do you know what that feels like? Yes. Yeah. And we know what that feels like, but we don't always pay attention to that, right? Other right, than the moments right. it happens. The counter list, I want you to create a list of all the people, places, source of information, environments, everything that was on this list that mm -hmm. makes you feeling defeated, depleted, mm -hmm. unworthy, that makes you feel like garbage, that makes right. you feel unappreciated, where you could spend one hour and it felt like eight because you were slamming your head into that wall and you cannot imagine going back into that environment and working for that toxic boss. We all know what this feels like, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we don't ever really take the time to really pay attention. You said 85 to 15. Beautiful, right? I like that equation because perfection doesn't exist, by the way. It's having more positive time and energy than negative time and energy. Whatever the equation looks like, 56%, 70%, 85%. But the point is, is when we know what's on these lists, we already know where we're spending our time, our energy, our resources, our emotions, our intellect. Mm -hmm. And so if we can systematically start to reduce, eliminate, or remove anything that's on this list and spend more time over here, that in and of itself will start answering your question closer to who you are. Mm -hmm. Because what lights you up, what brings you natural energy is in alignment with who you are. What doesn't, isn't. And so that's probably the most simple state, but really it's people need to learn how to take out their trash and how yeah. to do that regularly and consistently because we add new trash every day in every environment, every time we get triggered. So mm -hmm. we've got to get ahead of it so that we no longer spend time in those moments of damage and negative energy and recognizing that our trash and our triggers will be adversaries in constant pursuit until the day we die. We mm -hmm. don't ever get rid of them, but we minimize the amount of time and energy we spend in them so that we have more space for the things that we do desire. Yeah, I think that's a very valid and practical way to get started. And I think it just gives you a reality check. And then you're like, oh, when you see it right there in front of you, you're like, oh, maybe that's what it is. And it's almost like, sounds like we essentially as humans, we create these habits and routines and that all, they're not always serving us. So it's almost like having this moment to get out of that routine and, and like taking a step back. And, and for those that are listening and this, you know, I, I'm very biased towards mind body connection. Cause I, I, I do a lot of research on that and I'm studying cognitive, uh, yeah. uh, cognitive and behavior and neuroscience at the moment at, at a graduate school. So I'm very much into that. And, and there's a lot of research for those who are still questioning that there's actually a lot of science to it, yes. but the mind and body connection that's coming out of research over the last 10 plus years that we're now seeing coming out more and more with solid mm -hmm. data around that connection, as you were saying. And, and I'm curious, you know, if, if how do you see the connection, especially between the money, uh, the money, the, the mind and the gut? So in terms of like what we put, what we put in our bodies and yeah. these sort of things, um, you know, again, um, I'm biased towards this stuff, but I'm always curious, like, what do people think about it? Uh, so what do you think about, you know, do you see absolutely. that Absolutely. So, I mean, they, they say that our gut is our second mind, right? Like it's, right. it's, it, it is absolutely correlated. It's absolutely aligned. And I will tell you again, we didn't, and I'll just hit it in two seconds, but, uh, for context, for everybody who's listening, uh, when I was seven, I was run over by a truck and my left arm was completely severed from my body, right? It was reattached. I've had 24 surgeries. Many have called me the practitioner of pain because I've dealt with it all, emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual pain. 
Okay. So I've gone deep in each one of these areas because what I didn't want to do was become dependent on pharmacy medications for painkillers just so I could survive. Mm. And so I've had to go really deep in understanding the cellular level of pain for myself and the integration of all these things. So though I can't cite the research on the mind and gut, to me, the mind and gut and the mind and heart are equally important, right? Our gut is also one of the things that we can use to regulate and feed and give the proper nutrients, not only to our body, but our minds. And I've had to change diet. I've had to change physical movement. I've had to change literal practices and learning how to be and really make the connection solid to I've done all sorts of ancillary types of Reiki energy healing and sensory deprivation tanks. And I've had a meditation and consciousness coach for the last two to three years, just simply to help me further deepen that connection. Mm. And the more I pay attention to all the variables that impact my body that I'm putting in it, that's already in it, both internal, as well as the external factors that can affect it, the more I'm able to actually heal in every single area. And Mm. so I'm a big, big, big believer in understanding the mind gut connection, the mind heart connection, that's more often than not why I often say the mind body connection, Mm. because so often we disconnect up here as a means to protect ourselves because of everything that's happened in the world. And we have the ability to do that. But if we don't feel, we don't heal. And Mm. so I'm just really trying to get people to complete that 18 inch journey from their head to their heart, because typically that will lead to the gut that will lead to the other elements of connection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you talk as well a bit about radical authenticity. What does that mean to you? Yeah, so radical authenticity is this idea that truly human connection is bound by the glue that is vulnerability and authenticity. Authenticity to me is not an unapologetic excuse to walk around the world and be an absolute ass, right? Like, that's not that. It's not saying... Radical authenticity means I'm going to do whatever I want and I don't care what anybody thinks. What it is saying is it's about getting back to the core of who you are before the world told you who to be. It's about recognizing that we can create environments where we can be safe, where we don't have to be armored and guarded, where we can actually be open, exposed, vulnerable, and authentic. It allows people to actually see who we are. And as we've talked about in the past, but I haven't said on this show yet, the human experience, I think, is rooted in four things. We all seek a desire to feel safe. We all seek a desire to feel protected. We all seek a desire to feel seen and understood. And we all seek a desire to feel connected. Oh, by the way, if these first two don't happen, these second two don't, and these are the most important. So when we don't feel safe, when we don't feel like we're in a place that happens, what do we do? We protect ourselves. We armor ourselves. We put a guard up. How can we expect through that invisible force field that we are ever going to properly portray who we are authentically through an invisible force field? And how can we ever expect someone on the other side of it to receive our energy unfiltered, unaltered by the force field it had to pass through, Mm. right? Armor literally separates us further from being seen and understood and connected because we put that block in front of ourselves to begin with. Radical authenticity is learning how to drop that armor so that we can absolutely be seen and understood and connect for who we are, not for who we are portraying the world believes us we need to be. And that, that, that's beautiful. I, lo- I love that. Um, and so are there some things that you do on kind of daily basis to, to, to not get into the, you know, into the, the rabbit hole of going back down the same route that, you know, you, you've kind of came out from. So is there any routines or habits? I'm curious. Absolutely. That you, what are some mm-hmm. of those? Um, I start with stillness and I start with my mind body connection. Mm-hmm. Literally the very first thing, the brain waves of sleep are very similar to the brain waves of the meditative state. 
And so for me, I struggled to sit still for five minutes for a long time. And so I've had to literally learn all these different modalities to get me to actually be still and allow myself to receive and get the downloads and do the reconciliation and integration and everything I'm, I'm getting. And so I've done that through multiple different ways. But what I learned probably two years ago from my meditation consciousness coach was the connection to being able to roll right into it. So the very first thing I do when I wake up every day is I actually sit in silence and sit in my breath and really pay attention to just downloads that I need to receive for the day. From there, I, because of my physical pain, also have a lot of physical movement. I recognize that the more I can get moving, the more I can stretch, the more I can put core strength in, the more I can avoid the suffering that I know I exist in by debilitating physical pain, if I can learn to embrace the pain of actually doing these things regularly and consistently. And so it puts me into a position to stay loose, but it takes me 90 minutes to two hours to get my body moving in the morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I get up very early and I do that. Now, I'm not gonna go through every other routine because I'm spe specifically talking about it as it relates to this stuff. But I know that if I can get my body moving, get my blood flowing, get myself open, then I'm set up to be able to pour from my cup for the rest of the day for everybody else who needs something from me. At the end of the day, I do what I teach all of my clients. We all go and every single day in our lives, we create trash, right? And what do we do? We always walk it over the trash can and we just keep putting stuff in the trash can and we ultimately get to take it out. Our triggers are trash. Every single day, I literally unpack my can and I rehearse through the day, the four, five, six, seven, maybe 20 things that triggered me throughout the day. Even if I didn't react, I mm -hmm. had to at least put myself into a position to observe it so I can pay attention to the pattern and get intentional with what I've learned through those situations. Because for me, it's as much about how the emotions move through my body as they move through my world, right? Example, shame for me. I told you one, I talk fast, I, I, I'm loud. And in billion dollar plus meetings with, or with clients, I'd have people say, shh, Brian, you can't talk that fast. You can't talk that loud. And I'd shrink down in shame, right? Yeah. The same emotion, my wife would say, hey, babe, what are we gonna do with the kids this weekend? That's what she said. My shame filter would cause me to hear it this way. Hey, honey, you've not done enough to be a good husband and father recently. So what are you gonna do to make up for it this weekend? And I would then get defensive, I'd raise, I'd feel like I needed to protect that because that's a really important role for me. And then I'd rattle off and react to 10 things I'd done in the last four days to show her I was a good husband and father. Mm -hmm. Point is shame moves differently for me, five or six different ways. And I have over 60 triggers. So every night I'm adding to that list. Did something new trigger me? Did something actually come into a place of conscious awareness so that I can get ahead of it next time? Because I will always be triggered and I'm always going to have moments of these because they're so deeply ingrained. When I had 35 years of trash, and two years I've been super active in unpacking it. I'm just giving an example, right? You don't flip right. a light switch and it goes off overnight. I've now been doing this for about a decade. So every night I unpack my can and I take my trash out and I recognize what can I learn from? What was relevant? What was about this moment? And more times than not, 98% of what I'm dealing with throughout the day had nothing to do with that day or what was right in front of me. It had everything to do with the trash I was still carrying with me. Mm. I think that's super useful and practical and you know no excuse people say I don't have time because it's very easy to just take a few moments before you go to bed or whatever works um, to empty the trash people <laughs> empty the trash I think it's super super powerful definitely a reminder for myself who tends to be uh, you know my own worst critic at times so I think that uh, recognizing triggers <laughs> yeah I think so right so it's um, that's that's very very practical advice and I like that um, Brian, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you or maybe just kind of continue to follow your content and things that you're putting out there? Yeah, if you want to follow content, I'm at Bogert Brian on every social media platform. Our website's uh, brianbogert.com. Any one of those places, shoot us a DM, engage wherever. I want to make, keep it simple. So if it's following, go there. 
Um, I do have something to give your audience, if that's okay. Please. Um, go to nolimitsprelude.com. What it is, is it's the intro part to our course. There's over 30 minutes of video content and you get through the first chapter so that you understand how to begin with the end in mind and you start learning how to deeper identify with yourself. So whether you know who you are, you have no idea who you are, you're somewhere between this will add value. Caveat, because I want everybody to hear this. Yes, I get your email exchange for the free course. Yes, you get a few emails through the course of completing it. And yes, when you're done, you will get four emails from me or my team asking what the experience was and if there's a way we can help you further. I want you to know that going in because the value will absolutely impact your life, but I don't want that to deter you because I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. If it impacts you, move it through the world because move people move people. And on our mission to impact a billion lives as quickly as possible, we need as much help as we can get moving as many as possible. Move people, move people. I like that. That's the first time I've heard that. <laughs> I love it. Um, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time. I remember when we first met, uh, we both went and like, hardcore in terms of like the the speed that, that we're talking so i very much appreciate like your I, I love your energy i think it's just um it's a lot very much aligned with my audience and i think it's uh again i think it's it's something unique and and i love it so um hopefully it's not something to feel ashamed about at all i think it's just uh, I, I love your energy and i think you you come off very nicely so i very appreciate um taking the time to speak with my audience thank you well, thank you. And thank you for creating a platform for me to pour good into the world. And just so you know, I don't have shame connected to that anymore. I've worked but. through that part. I've taken that trash out pretty effectively. So <laughs> it's just other elements of shame I'm still dealing with. And we all will, right? So thank yeah, you, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.